like a radical Republican on your show next. You need to, I think I was thinking about that. that, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. And we need more of that. I've been thinking a lot about having this about understanding how people think not we get caught up on what people think, right. But to actually articulate and understand how people think and going, you know, the Holy fool name is about going into things with ignorance Uh because that's how you learn instead of assuming I know. Right. So why, why couldn't I do that? We have different opinions. Awesome. Let me understand your opinion and you yeah. as a human being. Exactly. See, that's because we're all product of our environments and what we've been around and what we're used to. And, you know, it's good to hear other people's side and what they've been around and what they are, you know. It just I wanted to be about just and creativity is part of being human. So if we can really just explore like the human experience more. I don't know. It it makes me feel good. I know that whenever something makes me feel good, then I'm on the right track for something because it's got to make somebody else feel good. That's amazing. I love that. You get that feeling when you're doing music too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. 100%. Like when, when a song gets you excited. Yeah. I you know, it's weird. Are we starting or should we start? Yeah, we're started. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) My bad. I didn't know if it was intro or what. Um, I don't know. With music, it's weird. Sometimes I listen to a lot of modern music just because I have to, I feel like. Um, and it also gets me excited for the way things go with music. But I feel like some, every time I put on a song I love, I get jealous of it. I don't know what that is. I can't ever stop it. But it just feel, I just get jealous. Like These people are so good at music. Like, and then that could be my insecurities coming out. Obviously, it is. It's just like, will I ever make something this good? This is so good. But you know what? That's what's inspiring about it is it create it just gives you this fire under you to be like okay yeah you can do this you know take from this and make something new out of it and like you know branch off of it and and be fueled by it you know so that's that's the funnest part for me i think when i listen to new music and how i get inspired yeah i think it's really important to take that you know i think we all have those negative things we were talking about this a little bit before we started but all those negative feelings that people have they don't go away the more people do things i think that People who aren't making stuff, I don't, I don't know if they understand that. They think that they're the only ones that feel insecure. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's, it's weird with music. I always have this fight with it of like how difficult it can be. But if I just let that kind of go and just do what I want to do, like with all these, like, and just ignore all these thoughts in my head, which are just basically walls that I need to push through. I just feel if I ignore most of it, things will flow and it'll be good. It'll be a great outcome. And I'm more happy. So. Well, for me, like, uh, when I'm, when I'm writing or something, you know, the voices that I hear, the things that I hear are, you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. You can't finish this. Are you sure that you're capable of doing this? <laughs> what are what, I mean, what do they sound like for you? What are the what are the right. rowdy voices say to you? Right. You know what? They usually come afterwards. I, I, I'm pretty good at sitting down and just like the hardest part is just getting up to sit down and do it. Like that is the to me that is the hardest part of the creative process is just saying I'm going to get up today. I'm going to go just put down some chords. I'm going to make a drum beat but the hardest part is just sitting down in the chair i don't know why for me once i get down and start putting on layers it's literally like time has 
gone by. I'm not thinking of anything but the moment. I'm not thinking of anything else, not the girls I had to deal with last week, not the weird, awkward conversation I had last night, not the you know hangover that I'm feeling. Everything goes by. Um, so it's very fluid as it comes out. And then afterwards, I listen to it and go, okay, that was total crap. Or, oh my God, this is cool. Or like, let me just put this away and listen to it later. So the doubts come afterwards, which I think is nice, which I, I think that I have an advantage that way. Just how my mind works is just getting down and doing it is the hard part. Yeah, there's a famous quote that probably has been thrown around and put into more people's mouths than actually said it. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen was famous for saying it at certain points, but it goes back to this lady, Mary Heaton Vorse. And basically, I don't remember the exact quote, but she says the art of writing is the art of applying one's seat of their pants to the chair. I said that wrong, but well, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. It's Absolutely. sitting down. Like it's you just sitting said down. It's totally sitting down for me. That's exactly what it is. I don't know if it's like why I don't want to sit down. I don't know if it feels like a chore if creativity or like creating feels like a chore. It shouldn't because I do music full time and I enjoy it. I enjoy what I do, but it's still maybe just the monotonous robotic aspect of doing just sitting down to do it. Like, no, you're going to devote so much time to it and not knowing the outcome, which also mm-hmm. is exciting. Yeah. I've found that when, when I, especially in particular with writing, because that's where I have the most, um, there's a guy named Stephen Pressfield that wrote this book called the war of art and he calls that resistance. And where I find the most resistance is in writing. And -hmm. I always find that when I feel the most resistance Mm -hmm. is actually when I end up doing the best work. Do you, do you have that same experience? Right. Um, yeah, I feel. Uh, what do you mean exactly? Resistance. What What, what do you like mean? Like that, not wanting to sit down or not wanting oh, to do it. It's almost like you're trying. You want to conquer it, so therefore you do it even harder, right? Maybe I'm not sure. Like yeah. I've, I've been trying to examine that. <laughs> I mean, like for me, I think maybe also it's that idea of because maybe I know deep down inside that there's something that I need to say. Yeah, and it's scary. Be. Right. Exactly. That's cool. I mean, um, like for me, I never feel like when I make music or create sound or whatever, I, it comes from any weird emotional place. And if it were, if it were, it would be subconscious because I, I don't know, maybe like, like I said, and afterwards I'll, there'll be doubts and stuff and I'll be hearing it and go like, well, why is this song sad? I just made, do I feel sad? So it's almost like I'm psychoanalyzing myself after I see what I create. and it's always weird for me. And I always question like what I just made right now. Is that me? Is that how I feel? You know, like that's, that's cool. So I have my own like, um, psychiatric, uh, episode after I create something, you know, everybody's always trying to convince people that art is not therapy, but it totally is. Oh, Oh, I don't know. I don't know who said that it's not therapy. Of course it is. Yeah, maybe I think maybe, you know, sometimes they people say things and they don't fully say what they mean. So mm-hmm. maybe it's that it's not supposed to be driven by therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you're supposed to do it for joy or something like that, which yeah. I can see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do feel jealous of the people who are like, ah, I, I feel like something just happened to me. I feel like I want to get it outside myself. I want to play it with my fingers. I want to create something that I'm not just saying, you know, and they can express it that way. And it, it's a release for them. I get jealous of that. I think it's awesome. People can do that. Like me, I don't know it until afterwards. Like I said, you know, 
So the initial phase for you is almost like impulsive. It, totally impulsive. It's like picking out on that fries, fries electronics end line, you know, when you're just grabbing stuff at the end, <laughs> the Reese's peanut butter bar, you're just on your way out. You're all, oh, I just need this and this and this. And then afterwards you eat the Reese's and you're like, hey, I don't know if that was a good idea. <laughs> that Weird was a lot analogy. of sugar. <laughs> Weird analogy. but <laughs> well, When you, when you first started making music, how did, I mean, how did that even happen? Like what led you to that? So, yeah, it's a funny story. I think I've always been a fan of music ever since I was a little kid. I would lip sync Elvis in front of the family. You know, I'd, jam- I'd dance a lot. I would, you know, just set up little talent shows in my living room. I was really into dance. Um, and my dad had records and he had a whole wall full of CDs. And I just remember like him playing his CDs and he'd pick me up at school and he'd be bumping like the police or like Beatles super loud. And I thought he was a cool dad, you know, cause he played it really loud. And I, I just had, I was drawn to music and how it's made and, and, and why it's made and all the questions as a kid, you know, with music. And I think I kind of didn't really pick it up again until high school. And I was a big break dancer. Somehow I fell into break dancing. And I would, we had a crew called Method Crew, and we'd break dance in front of McDonald's at the mall, <laughs> Pleasanton, and we'd, we'd battle the other high school. And, um, and I got, and so there's five elements of hip hop, which are uh, rapping, beatboxing, turntablism, break dancing, and graffiti. So those are five elements of hip hop. So I really embraced those. I was all about it, you know. You know, as we do as high school, we fall into little like trends and stuff. And I was into turntablism. I got really obsessed with that. And me and my best friend Todd and Teddy would, were into turntablism big time, big time. We would set up our turntables in the garage and have scratch offs. And, and it kind of just evolved from there. And I would go on these hip hop forums and see how like these people made these beats and like how they would scratch. And like I kind of got just immersed and obsessed with it. And eventually I bought my first beat. Uh, my first beat machine, which was a Boss DR505, I think, a little black thing, little black square device that had the cheesiest sounds in it. And actually, Kyle, you know Kyle, my best friend, yep. he loaned me money to get that. So I feel Kyle has played a huge part in my music, you know, and as becoming a profession is he helped me out in the beginning. And if it wasn't for Kyle, you know, I want to be here. <laughs> Good job, Carnahan. Yeah, so... um yeah, that beat machine. I just kept growing and growing with that. And I would sample my dad's old records. And uh, um, I learned about how to sample through like DJ Shadow and Cut Chemist and all these awesome artists I, were, I was obsessed about. And uh, Prefuse 73, RJD2, all this like underground hip hop stuff I was really into. So my dad would just get pissed at me just because I would grab his old record, <laughs> sample it and loop them. And I thought looping was so awesome. The coolest thing ever. Looping is one of the coolest things to me still. It's like one of my favorite aspects of making music is loops and layering. and It's like painting a picture, you know, it's so great. It's painting an audible picture with loops. Um, and that's pretty much it. And then from there, I think uh, I just grew it out and, and grew with it. I mean, I went to school for sound engineering. I couldn't get a job in the sound industry. So I worked construction for three years. After that, uh, during the construction time, I would go home and just create music. And that's when I met Eric from the limousines. And we created the limousines and rolled with that for a long time. And here I am now in Los Angeles, still doing music somehow. 
And how many albums did you do as Nosebleed? Like four? Nosebleed. Oh, that's right. I didn't even bring up Nosebleed. So I created an entity for myself called Nosebleed because I suffer from extreme nosebleeds. <laughs> but it's spelled with a Z. No one's supposed to know about it, but it's <laughs> okay. Talk about now it. everybody knows about it. No, I mean, yeah. I, no, I really, you know, I respect and admire a Nosebleed and I, and I embrace it because that's that's how I grew. And that's like my beginning stages of making music. And, um, I created two albums for Nosebleed. The first one was called Heartbeats Digital. If you want, I can send you a copy. I think I, I still have it around. Oh, you have it. Okay. And then yeah, I, created- I have a physical copy. <laughs> yes. That's a rarity. <laughs> then, um, I created Romantics of the Rhino, which is the follow up. And then I did a singing one called Apology of Sex. Apology accepted, which was absolutely terrible. <laughs> that absolutely. was the vocoder one, right? Yes, it was. It was horrible. But you know what? I, I love it because it taught me how to write song songs. You know what I mean? Like, so Nosebleed, when I first started, was just like beats and, and instrumental stuff and very like songs you could put on while you like painted a picture or where you were studying, you know? And then, then when I wrote an album with my voice, it taught me structure and it taught me just how to layer this dynamic range of an actual, you know, a song with lyrics. And I, I don't know what you call that. I guess it would be, uh, what's the opposite of instrumental? I don't even know. A song? I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah, a see, I don't we'll know. Ask it of the audience. <laughs> right. Tell us. Yeah, please tell me if you know. But yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I respect and admire what I did then you know you gotta you gotta show homage to your roots and and if it weren't for those kind of things you wouldn't be the person you are you know oh i think it's called lyrical lyrical okay. lyrical songs right lyrical songs yeah that works yeah totally well i think um just from like an outside perspective looking at that change i mean it seems like especially when you take into context the story of you know the the break dancing and the turntableism Mm-hmm. Seems like nosebleed was also a transition from hip hop more into what you do now. Yes, absolutely, it was. And I think artists like the Postal Service and Tel Aviv or uh, Televon Tel Aviv, the band, um, and a lot of these, like I guess it would be two thousand four, two thousand five, like a, a minimal electronic artist would come out. Obviously, Aphex Twin, but I mean, like kind of on the lighter side of electronics that was happening. Mm-hmm really a cool time you know you know what i'm talking about the postal service days right yeah when we were all going out to what was that place called <laughs> what oh in san uh, francisco oh there Your was shop. that one and then the one in san jose too what was the one in san jose the blank in the club? basement oh agenda would we go to the bottom of agenda yeah well there was a name for that club i can't yeah, remember I mean, was that night that was, was like a one night club name it was so fun Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Young Hearts or something like that? I forget. Yeah, I it was too it long ago. <laughs> too long ago. We're dating ourselves. Yeah, um, that was like Empire of the Sun and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And, They're still um, around, apparently. They are. They are still around, I know. Pretty crazy. But, um, yeah, so that kind of influenced me out of hip-hop. Not just out of inf- hip-hop, but like taking what I've learned with sampling and try to sample more electronic artists or create like I actually got a mini keyboard and learned how to play some you know with more electronic elements and I feel like it was the merging of nosebleed hip-hop instrumentals with minimal electronica that kind of brought me to that point of limousines and further you know 
Now, before we even go in, in, in that, I want to go back to the beginning for a second. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about the records, all those records that your dad had. Were mm-hmm. those the same records that you had on the wall? Yeah, they are. They do are you still same. have all those? No, I do not. <laughs> I went through and, and very efficiently selected my favorite and some that were my dad's favorite. And, and a lot of those were just collecting over the years uh, during my sound engineering school days. I would go to Amoeba after school and just buy the dollar records and, you know. Um, crate digging. Crate digging. I mean, I was, I was getting the Donald Byrd record or the, you know, Herb Alpert, Tijuana Brass stuff <laughs> and like, sample all that crazy stuff. So I had a huge, yeah, it was just so heavy though. Vinyl is, vinyl is so cool, but it is such a pain. <laughs> it's such a commitment and responsibility. <laughs> it is. Is, but nothing's nothing's better than holding a nice vinyl and playing it and the whole process. I love it. You know, it's great, but it just is a lot of work to move around and hold. And then for people listening, maybe we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but you lost your dad. I did. Yeah, I lost my dad at I was 19. He died of a heart attack in my childhood home with me and my brother there. So it was really, really traumatic and a tough thing. It was a crazy thing because, you know, he was, he was a good, he was a good dad. He was a, he worked as an engineer and knew me, which is now Tesla, the power plant. And he worked a lot, but you know, I think the gift of music, sorry, there's like a, this is where I live in Los Angeles where there's constantly police <laughs> and helicopters. But anyways, yeah. And my father was just a huge influence on me as far as music goes. So it was a tough loss and it was a huge just puzzle piece that left. But, you know, I, I, I tend to look at that and, and the way I lost my father at early, early age, kind of the events afterwards, if he didn't, it sounds weird to say, but if he didn't pass away, I wouldn't, be here today. I wouldn't be, I don't think I'd be doing music as a profession, music and sound as a profession. I haven't, I don't think I would because after he passed away, I had the option to, I was able to afford to go to sound engineering school and like do some of these things when, when, if he didn't, I think I'd be somewhere else. I don't know where I'd be. So it's so, it's so weird about how huge events can impact, impact you in that way. And yes, it's a horrible thing, but then it, he gave me a great gift, which was moving forward with music. And, and I think that's what he wanted for me ultimately. So it's great. I mean, it's, it's a good thing to me. And is (laughs) that something that you channel? Yeah, absolutely. I'll channel that into, into music or my thinking process or like, you know, it's, it's taught me things, you know, you grow as a person when you have such a huge loss as losing a parent, you know, and you, your family, your family bonds more and you're able to take that energy and, and use it as a positive sometimes, you know, yes, you grieve. Yes. There are terrible times. Yes. I'll drive along and then I'll realize, Oh my God, I'm not going to have, my kids aren't going to have a grandfather that, 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 that's a tough one to take. And you'll have thoughts here and there, but you know, I'm here if it wasn't for that event, I wouldn't be here, which is a weird way of putting it, but it's true. Strange. How do you, how do you even begin to, you know, for, for men, we look to our fathers, you know, as, right. as, as, as maybe not always the, um, we don't always want to be our fathers, but it's always something that we measure ourselves against. What is that like when, when that person's suddenly gone and you know, you 19, you're not, you're not done yet. Exactly. That's what I'm not fully formed yet. I'm not fully formed. I was definitely molded. I was definitely still being molded, you know, as a, as a man, but uh, you know, 
he he i think he had a job he he liked but he had a job that he didn't love and he worked a lot and i i think he ultimately he did want to do music you know so i i i look at it as kind of passing the torch to me and doing something i really love you know which is important like i don't think he really liked his job but he had to he worked there for 30 years or something crazy but so it's almost like i felt like that was the push for me to do something i love and do what you know he wanted to do in a way and what, what did he play an instrument or uh, I think he fiddled around with a trumpet, but no, no, it was always just listening and jamming out. He played it so loud. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you know. he played with his heart though. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing, but it's, I, I've, I've learned to take it as a positive and, you know, grow as grow with it. And, you have like, so you're making music that's, you're doing the music end of things. And then you have other people that are doing voiceover, but at the same time, you're putting your emotions, you're channeling your own things in the music. What is it like to have something that you feel, you know, like obviously you have something in it, but then here's somebody else put something over it. That maybe it doesn't match. <laughs> that happens all the time. Absolutely. Um, it's weird when you start, I, I have a certain process, not, uh, it's not a conventional process. I do think the conventional process is great, which would be a singer, a band showing up and they play and jam together and they create organic sounds together and create from that. I like to sit alone, start from on a blank canvas and throw the paint at the canvas and see what happens because I compare it to shopping. I'm very, I do the same thing with shopping. I go out and I cannot shop with anyone. I can't do it. I don't know why I might be insecurities <laughs> on what I'm picking out. I have to, it's a very private moment for me, what I'm shopping for. And it's the same with music. When it first starts out, I love to create, you know, on my own. Okay. And then as I'm creating, I'll build out a whole complete piece of music all the way to the end. And I have so many ideas for it. I was, it this lyricist could come in a top liner. Top line means, you know, they, they hum melodies over your song and see what they can come up with. And I have, you know, so many ideas for it. Oh, a singer could do this. This song could be about this and this. And they get in there sometimes and they'll completely go left field and do something totally different. On top of <laughs> like, Oh, I don't know. But then sometime the coolest stuff could come from that where you're all, maybe the song is about that. Wow. You know, I had a different idea in the beginning, but now it's completely changed. And this is beautiful. This is great. You know, that, that's, a, that's a really exciting part. Sometimes it can go very badly with, you know, this is not working out. Let's go get coffee with the sun <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but, and then sometimes it can be just gorgeous and work out wonderfully. So when you, when you first started doing stuff with Eric, was that your first exposure to that experience? It was my first time having someone sing on my music and it was such a thrill. It was such a joyous thing. It was amazing. I was like, Oh my God, I got this really cool singer from this band doing like totally different stuff over my music. This is amazing. I'm just stoked at everything I hear that comes through because it was so cool to hear someone sing over this beat you made in your mom's sewing room. You know, that's where I was making those beats. Like, so that was super exciting for me. And I don't know. Yeah. I can't explain it. I remember hearing it on the radio too, for the first time and going, this is unbelievable. Like, how did this even happen? <laughs> and then you guys did two albums and an EP, right? Or did you do more than one EP? We did one EP scrapbook. That was the first one. Yeah. And then we did, um, get sharp, which is a full length. And then we did hush, 
And now we're working on new stuff. Huh. Yeah, I don't know if you know. He came and visited me in Los Angeles and we wrote for a weekend. And it was pretty fun. Oh, is that what those Devo photos were? Yes, it was. And Eric almost went blind while he was here. I don't know if what? I... Yeah, a crazy story. I, do you want me to tell you? you sure, know? absolutely. So Eric... You can't lead up that to the audience and then not. <laughs> so Eric came over for a weekend down to Los Angeles to write music for limousines. It was super awesome. Uh, we had a great time. We had a great first day. So we went out and celebrated at the bars down the street. Um. We went to a bar called Little Joy, which is on Sunset Boulevard and had a time of our lives. I, I'm not drinking. I still go out and have fun. I've been six months sober. It's been awesome. Good for you. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I love it. Like I love it. For me. Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. It feels great, huh? No hangovers. You don't, it doesn't ruin Sundays for you. Yeah, you, you don't, don't eat crappy, sugar and insulin spikes. It's just, yeah, exactly. Oh, we can go on about that too. Huh? <laughs> I'm sure we will. <laughs> so Eric comes for the weekend. We go out to the bars. We're walking home and I live really close to Dodger Stadium. It's like this really cool strip that leads you right to the entrance. Well, we have to walk past that to get to my house. And the street is lined with these amazingly gorgeous, um, cacti, but they're not your normal cacti. They are very coral looking and they go from green to pink all the way up. And the, the sun dyes the top of them like bright pink. So it's a really cool gradient. And I'm like, I've always wanted one of these plants. And I just tell Eric, I'm like, I really want one of these for my living room. <laughs> you know, he goes, Oh yeah, no problem. And he walks over and he just rips it from the stalk, you know, cracks it up and and, um, you know, we're carrying this, it's gotta be five feet, this huge plant all the way oh home. We walked it all the way home, you know, and we get home and we're doing karaoke in my house. We're having fun. And I look at Eric's hands and they're all black and sappy. I'm like, Oh, we should wash our hands, dude. So I'm washing my hands with him. He's all drunk. He's all, uh, everything's fine. We go to bed. I wake up to the sound of Eric just screaming, someone moaning in pain in my kitchen. Wow. And I get up instantly. I'm just in my boxers. I run into the kitchen. I go, what, what's going on? He's leaning over the sink. He's leaning over the sink. Just, just totally shaking. Like, you know how you put your eyes in, or your hands in front of your face and kind of wave them around. Like if, if you have something in your eye, Yeah. he looks up at me and his eyes are devil red. So red. I mean, I've never seen it before. Almost like he blew blood vessels and he is leaking liquid out of his eyes, basically oh. tears just down his face. And he says, Oh my God, it feels like someone's cutting onions. If I open my eyes, it feels burning sensation. If I close my eyes and I go, Oh, that's weird. And I go, you know, I'm not putting it together. I'm just going, this is weird, dude. Maybe you got a weird allergy around here or something and he's like i don't know dude i'm like yeah this is very strange and then the girl who stayed over with us was leaving in the morning she's like it's probably that plant and she's like see ya and shut the door and i'm, I'm like oh wait wait a minute from the mouth of I, babes yes exactly and i said <laughs> wait a minute and i i instantly jump on google and i google it and sure enough i find it and right at the top, it's nickname. It says it's medical name, which is Euphormia tilicari. And the nickname for it is African Fire Sticks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that does not sound good. I know. And I'm reading it to Eric. And it says, I said, yeah, highly toxic. And he goes, what? And I say, and you know how you read ahead in your mind before you yeah. say it? And I don't even want to read ahead for him because it says permanent causes permanent blindness. Now I instantly start shaking. Oh no. And I tell him to get in there or he says, I'm going to take a shower. I said, yeah, you should take a shower. He goes into the shower. I call poison control pacing around my house and poison control. I 
there, I don't know if you've ever called Poison Control, but it's one of the greatest services of all time. They know everything. I've called it before and it's fantastic. So I told the guy, I said, uh, yeah, my friend uh, ripped up a plant. It's a succulent. It's called Euphormia tilicari. He's like, yep, I know that, that what that is. He get it in his eyes. And I'm like, yes, he did. He rubbed his eyes in the morning. Okay, don't use Visine. That's the first thing he said. But what did Eric do as soon as he woke up? No. His eyes was Visine. Yep. <laughs> so I say, oh, he did that. He said, okay, you need to get him in the shower. I said, check. He's in the shower. He needs to spray water directly into his eyeballs for 15 to 20 minutes. I said, oh, my God. I busted in the shower. I told Eric, oh. you need to spray your eyes right now, you know, yelling at him. He's like, I don't know how to do that. So. I, I could never do that. I mean, I'd have to, but it's so unnatural, you know, opening right. your eyes and letting them squirt in. It's just such an unnatural feeling. So he does it. Thing, I keep checking on him. I was timing him, you know, for 20 minutes and every, I would check in every three minutes. See how he's doing. He said, it's getting better. It's getting better. You know, eventually he got out of the shower. He's a whole lot better. He said he was down from a hundred percent pain to like 20% and he's a lot better everything's okay. We go on a huge YouTube loop, you know, where we're looking up people's, you know, experiences with this plant and uh, how they can burn your cornea and how horrible it is. So he's fine. Everything's okay. Um, I'm pretty upset with how it's just planted right on a sidewalk with high foot traffic area. And um, so I made little signs, <laughs> of course. I made these little signs that says, one says, this plant is a complete asshole. And the other one says, highly toxic. And I put it, I put it right there for everyone to see. And, you know, when I was putting them up, people were asking about, really? Yeah. I told them the story. Everyone's like, oh my goodness. Thank you. I posted it on Reddit on our Los Angeles. You can see it. It got a lot of upvotes. It got a lot of hate because a lot of people were all, oh, just don't eat, don't put sap on your eyes. Well, yeah, we know that part, but I was just telling people who don't know, this is a highly toxic plant. It can be fatal. Right. It. Like what's the problem with just warning someone? What city planner put that plant there? That's um, someone who's cheap because it doesn't take any water and it looks gorgeous. So there was probably just someone going, oh yeah, it's cheap and let's just plant it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh man. Well, Eric, we're glad you didn't go blind. We're talking about Eric Victorino, by the way. <laughs> Yes, we are. Eric Victorino from Limousines. And um, it was a great weekend besides that. Um, we went and saw Fight Club with the live score from the Dust Brothers. That was oh. amazing. That was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Just to see that movie. I don't know if you're a fan of Fight Club. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, it's one of my top five. And um, to see Dust Brothers perform it for the first time ever in front of you, you know, they took out the score and they live timed it, you know, with the drummer and the singer and guitarist and genius. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really good. Well, I know that album too was a huge, huge influence on Eric. Yeah, he loves it. He brought me. That's why. Yeah, he, he wanted that. That's why he was down here too. He wanted to see that and write mm -hmm. music. <laughs> it was a fun day. It was an exciting day. You know, I feel like we have to have those kind of thrills in life. You have oh, to yeah. have those check, check yourself moments like, whoa, we're just a blob of flesh and we can die at any moment and things can go wrong. So value it. You yeah. Know? Otherwise we swell in our egos and exactly. our stories and, I, and all that stuff. Yes. And I feel like there's so much of it right now, especially with, you know, I don't know. It's a weird time right now. You know this. Oh yeah. We all know this. <laughs> you, you joined Facebook at the weirdest time, by the way. <laughs> you joined yeah, Facebook at the weirdest time. So far uh, it's I been okay you, though. Really? Yeah. My, I, you know, I, I made the mistake of adding like every single limousines fans. Like one day I had my mm. inbox to like a lot of people. I was just like, ah, I don't even care. Let's just do it. I added all these people. That's, that was my first mistake, you know, just adding tons of people I don't even know. 
Yeah. For me, I, I mean, I, I think it's been good because I went back with a purpose mm-hmm. um, and I knew what the purpose was. And I, mm-hmm. I literally, even though most people have to click on your full, full profile to see this, I wrote on there. I'm like, I am only going to accept requests from people I know in real Great. life that are Great. friends and family. Great. Yes. Not even As casual acquaintances. I'm not accepting. And that's just, that's the I way, it. you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be confronted with an opinion that, um, maybe it bothers me a little bit. I'd rather it come yeah. from somebody I actually know and care about because yeah. then there's a possibility of, of dialogue there. Absolutely. I agree. There is. And they're more open to hear your, you know, mind about it and as opposed to, to a stranger. You could, yeah. And this is, as opposed to a stranger, you just argue with these people. Nothing ever gets done. Right. I'm called a racist. They're called a racist. We all fight about something. Nothing doesn't get done. Like you can say it's awareness. Sure. It's awareness, but we're just ending up mad at each other. And because we're hidden behind these computers, if it was face to face and we were having like cucumber sandwiches, it would be totally different. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been reading a lot of like books and stuff about, you know, how the brain works and they're finding out a lot about how dialogue works. And, you know, when people go into a, a conversation, they actually, even though we quote unquote, listen to each other, we don't. So no one is yeah. ever convinced by a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go into a conversation, you have to go into it for yourself. Right. For your own edification, I'm going to learn something because they're not going to learn anything unless they decide to. Yeah. And you can't, you know, facts, none of those things, uh, none of it matters because we all come from an emotional place. All of us. Yeah, I think it is. I think we are reacting emotionally with a lot of it. Uh, I catch myself doing it too. I, I just catch myself jumping into a political conversation and going, oh, I'm probably, I'm not even probably listening to this person because I think he's an idiot. But it, like I said, if we actually sat down and talked about it, it would be a different story. Well, I think um, not even just politics. I mean, you know me pretty well. Mm-hmm. And when I used to drink, I used to get in arguments, you know, not like vicious arguments, but I would always be argumentative. And it's, it's, we get, I think we get addicted to being right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think so too. It's something that it's, it's ego. Well, and it's safety too, right? Cause if we know, uh-huh. if we understand the world, then we know where we belong in it. Yeah, I think, and I think when it is an argument, you feel challenged and you feel a need to overcompensate your opinion without hearing theirs. And like, and I don't know, it's just weird. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I love, I love ignorance. I love ignorance with a lot of stuff because I've learned that it just feels better. It might be not the best way of doing things, but I feel like just being ignorant to a lot of like political stuff right now in my life, I feel like most of that brings me microaggression and just, just uneasy, just horrible feelings. And I just would rather just ignore it. I know that sounds weird, but you know what I mean though? Sometimes you just want to be like, ah, man, life is too short. Why am I fighting over this? I think about the, the the airplane metaphor, you know, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first because if you're not getting Uh air, you can't save anybody else's lives. And I feel like that's the same Uh with being in the world. And you've got to do things that make you a healthy human being. Otherwise, you can't do anything to affect positive change in the world. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's about like, what can you really change? So like with politics stuff, I'm just like, I, what can I voted? Okay, there we go. Well, I've been kind of digesting lately is mm-hmm. that there's two kinds of people that create change. They're the kind of people that if, imagine change is a car, right? Mm-hmm. There's the kind of people that we need to hold the wheel and to shift the gears and to look at the speedometer. Mm -hmm. And there's people we need to look down the road to make sure we don't run into anything. (laughs) If you have, if you're only looking at the wheel, you're going to crash. If you're only looking at the road, you're going to crash. And And I'm finding out I'm not a steering wheel person. 
Okay. I'm a down the road person. Right. I want to, I want to make people happier and I want to bring positive change to people's lives. And then hopefully from that place, they will steer the wheel better. Exactly. That's great. So you give them a vessel, you give them something to move. That's what I'm trying to do. Whether I succeed or not, who knows? (laughs) Uh, I think just doing it is awesome. It's amazing. Just doing it. Like we said, just sitting down and doing it is you're doing your best and you're doing something positive and that's awesome. Do you get that feeling when you're, when you put out a song that, you know, that you're affecting people's lives in a positive way? I, I never think of it like that, but I, I do get, I do have this sense of release where I'm just giving it to someone. I feel like you guys, it's, it's your song now. It's like, if, if these lyrics strike you and, and make you realize things, or if they are, you, you relate to them a lot and, and it's helped you, even if it's a sad song, if it's just helped you release and cry about your ex-girlfriend or cry about, you know, your dog that died or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's so per- music is so personal to each of us and they affect us so differently and positive, positively, usually, you know, you come out of it feeling better. I don't know. So I give it kind of away when I release a song and let them, let them have it. You know what I mean? And all the stuff you work on, you're writing all of it, right? You're not just going in and, and doing producing over something else. No, it's all starts from me. And then I'll have a singer usually in the UK, send me, send me vocal ideas and we go from there. And then, then I'll do a music video with each song and yeah, I'm very involved. It's so funny because there's so many ghost producers who are, are, who aren't involved. Are you aware of this? Are you aware about like how much like, like a lot of these DJs don't even make their stuff. It's exactly like ghostwriters, but it's ghost DJs or ghost producers. And, and a lot of them are that there's and the music industry is so weird of how it's like this. Um, there, I look at it as a, as a factory and on top of the factory, you have all the managers and you have the CEOs and stuff. And those are the guys in the forefront. They're the guys in the forefront. You know, this is my product. This is what I've made. But underneath is all the facility workers and the safety guys. And there's so many workers making this happen. That's how it is with songs nowadays is the songwriters and ghost producers and the guys underneath are the ones creating it. And the faces, I mean, keep in mind, this isn't every scenario, but majority of popular music is made that way where they have, you know, a face with the song, but you don't see unless you read the credits on the back of the CD or the Spotify credits, songwriter credits, which most people don't do. (laughs) You aren't seeing what really went into that song. So for my situation, I'm very involved in it. I'm, I'm a producer artist, I guess you'd call me. And, you know, it's just different. Would I ever have ghost producers? No. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, it's got to be a special kind of person that can make something and then just not want their name on it. Yeah. Well, money talks. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. That's exactly what it is. I, I mean, I've learned to kind of give, it's, a, it's weird when you, when music is a business for you and you, see outlets of making money, like making a cheesy pop song. Like this could be a K-pop, like, you know, this could be a K-pop song and it's horrible to make because I can't stand this kind of music, but I'm just going to let go and create it for the product, you know? So then again, it turns into more of a job, which is weird, but yeah, I don't know. You just have to learn to kind of let go and get and stop your cred. You know, the cred voice where you're like, oh, this is so cool. This isn't cool. Like, oh, I only make dope stuff. And like, oh, I'm not going to make this cheesy pop song. Well, you know, it's a, it's a living to do it. So that's why they do it, I'm sure. We have a Facebook group for a book club. Um, 
Oh, cool. Which for you guys listening, facebook.com forward slash holy, holy fool. But the, the book club book this month is a book on the wrecking crew. And I haven't started the book yet, but I've seen a documentary on them. Have you ever heard of the wrecking crew? I've never heard of the wrecking crew. I feel like maybe I've, it's been mentioned, but I, no, I've never. So the wrecking crew was like this famous um, session band. And they, I think they actually started with Phil Spector as a house band for Phil Spector. Wow. And then just, they ended up on a whole bunch of other people's stuff. But I mean, these guys clocked over 10,000 hours of recording. Wow. And they they were on like 40 or 50 hit singles. I mean, actually wow. I, I have written down on the paper here, um, some of the singles and it's, it's weird. It's not even the same kind of music. So they were on, Surfing in the USA, Help Me Rhonda, and I Get Around by the Beach Boys. Okay. Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra. Wow, no way. You Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Mm -hmm. California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. I Got You Babe, Sonny and Cher. I'm a Rock and Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family. I mean, no these are way. huge songs. And such a wide spectrum of type of music. And nobody knows who they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, this is what I mean. This is, and it's still like that. And it's, it's even crazier now, I think. Oh, yeah. Especially, oh, yeah. like I said, with ghostwriting and all of that. Mm -hmm. and by the way, if any of you guys want to read that book, you should actually, if you want to listen to it in audiobook format, you ever do audiobooks, Gio? I do. I do because I drive up to the bay and I love it. It's so yeah. convenient when you're driving or like I walk every day. It's good to, I don't know, like you're feeding your brain at the same time as the way I look at it. Yeah, totally. But if, you guys listening should go sign up for an audible trial. That's kind of how we're sponsoring the show. If you want to support Holy Fool and Creative Minds, yes, this is an ad. <laughs> mm. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Holy Fool and sign up for the free trial. And it's 30 days. You get a free book and free is the main word I'm going to focus on here. Wrecking Crew is a good place to start. Wow. I want to do this. I'm, I'm into it, actually. I love Audible. I mean... You, What's great about it is I, I did another service. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it might not even be in business anymore. And it was kind of like Netflix in the sense that you were borrowing the books while you're paying. But with Audible, you keep the book. So like if you stop paying the monthly fee or you yeah. cancel after the free thing, that mm -hmm. download, you can download anytime. That's yours forever. And that's kind of what made me switch over, even though, you know, they're an Amazon company and you know, there's the whole thing about Amazon right They're now. They're in hot water right now, yeah. Do you say you have Alexa? No, I don't. I don't the only virtual assistant I have is Siri. Siri? Yeah. I have Alexa. And the creepiest thing is she'll, she'll just say something randomly in the middle. Like, I've been woken up for her going, excuse me, I didn't get that. <laughs> so, what? what was I saying? <laughs> what did I just order? <laughs> yeah. But I use her mainly just to turn on and on my lights and play coffee table jazz on Spotify. And mm. that's in the mornings, it's nice. And, and I... Yeah, that's really it. She can call me an Uber. I don't have a car, so I Uber everywhere. It's good I got rid that. of my car too. Nice. Feels good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No need. No need. Except for when you want to go travel on a whim or go to the forest or camp. That's the only thing. Or go see my family. You know, that's the only thing. I need a friend. <laughs> yeah, I do. I hitch a ride. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's been great. Yeah, I love not driving. I ride my bike everywhere now. It's really good. It's kind of funny that people don't imagine that that's what's going to happen if you move to LA, right? We think cars when we think LA. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. The Bay Area's traffic is worse than Los Angeles. Wow. I'm not kidding. 
I know, I now know being up in the Bay recently for, you know, during around 2 p.m. to 5 is insane on 880 and 680. It is crazy. And Los Angeles, you get this, these small stints of traffic, you know, and it's a smaller area. Yeah. But I really think the Bay has, has got worse than LA. It kind of makes sense. I mean, like down there, you guys have so many roads. It looks like Harry Potter sometimes, you know, with <laughs> all the staircases. I've it driven is. to parts where I'm like, where am I? There's it is like crazy. more things above me. Yeah. That means that's people turning off and going different directions. Yeah. It's like you got three lanes and it's going to be those three lanes for a really long time. Yeah, exactly. It's just different. That's true. But, you know, you guys do have the tech boom. So it's that too as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, mm-hmm. hopefully in the next 10 years, none of us will be behind the wheel anymore anyways. Yeah, that that is an interesting topic. I do have a theory that within the next 25 years, all service jobs are taken off by AI. It looks that way. What People do you are think scared. about that? And, and I think creative jobs are what's left because we wouldn't have created something that's more creative than humans yet. Right. And to clarify, creative jobs isn't just arts, you know, just yeah. think, thinkers in general. Yeah, exactly. Thinkers like uh, innovators, engineers. I mean, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Actually, I just feel scared for what's to come as far as AI and, and, and all these jobs like grocers, uh, they're done. Like, like all this, all this work is going to be taken up by AI. Right. Well, I mean, okay. So here's a question to go off of that a little bit. Yeah. You do electronic music. Yes. Some musicians out there look at you the same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, wait, he's doing all of it. They, they don't need a band. It's he's true. Doing all of it. How do you you're, deal with that? You're absolutely right. It's true. It's a weird thing. I think, again, that's ego with the old, the new kind of, well, in their minds, the new threatening the old ways, right? Right. So it's the same way as when Elvis got up there and shaked, shook his hips and the parents were all, oh, this is the most sinful thing. You know, same kind of thing. I feel like it's like new technology making it easier for us to create music. So right then and there, they are mad about it because they used to have to plug in and turn up and do all these things. And we go through an amp and we do this and we have to do all these steps to get there and record the tape and then play it back and cut in. You know what I mean? And now it's just with clicking and you can just get that done in 10 seconds or less, you know? So it's also that I think that people are upset by. And I mean, this is old schoolers, obviously, but like, you know, I've been hearing it forever that drum machines don't have soul, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. So it's, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know. I, I, I understand where they're coming from. I mean, like, oh, you made this digital drum beat. Oh, it's not real. You know what? But people, if they listen to it and they hear it and they like it, I did my job. Well, you know who I love is I love these old synthesizer guys, you know, like Brian Eno, you know, the, yes. they were doing the old stuff where you had to plug into different little holes, you know, kind of uh, like the old modular. Uh, yeah. The old switchboards and stuff like that for mm-hmm. telephones. I don't hear a single one of them complaining that synthesizers have gotten easier to use. <laughs> they're like, thank God. <laughs> right. Yeah. They probably, they're all, Oh, it's, it's easy. You just slip one switch instead of tying five different things. Just, yeah. Or, or, or tweaking a dial for like three hours to get yes. the right oscillation. I know. That's, That's what they funny. did on that Pink Floyd album, Dark Side really? of the Moon. They had, I mean, some of those sounds, it took them like days just to get one synthesizer sound. 
Wow. And the craziest part is with analog synth is when you're dialing in those sounds, they're marked, you know, and I'm sure they had tape. And if you went in yeah. there and turned knobs and they didn't have it marked, that sound would be ruined. And gone forever. <laughs> and gone forever. Unless you wrote. It's so funny. I'm, um, I'm working with this producer named Lay Youth. He's a really cool house DJ. I'm playing a show with him uh, June 15th at 1015 Folsom in the city. But uh, he has this new synth. And it, well, it's not a new synth. Sorry, it's a vintage synth. And he got the manual from it. And inside the manual are all these like bass, like weird bass sounds and like all the names of them, like a pad or like, a, you know, a pluck. And, and there's just a picture of the dials, you know, and what you're supposed to set the dials to physically, you know, in order to achieve this sound. So it's like a cheat sheet. on oh, how That's to great. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I wanted to take a picture of it. Like, that's so funny to me. I used to do that with my amplifier when I was a kid, you know, like when yeah. I was just learning how to use an amp, I'm like, oh, this is a really good sound. Yeah. But you don't want to awesome. leave it on that forever. <laughs> Yeah. And how would you, how would you do that in shows? If you're like, this song doesn't have the sound. Now I got to run over and turn it in between songs and like dial it in. I guess you do it with foot pedals and stuff. Well, that's but. why they, or why they had, you know, like 40 amps on stage sometimes. Oh, they could just go. Some oh, dude really? Would just unplug them. I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah. But, that makes you know, sense. People like the stones. They had to do stuff like that. I assume. Right. Yeah. Now it's all digital. I'm sure. But have you, have cool. you read any of these um, 33 and a third books? No, the record thing, huh? They're like these little pocketbooks, and each one of them is about one famous album. And it's literally just a book about the process. I mean, even the minutia hmm. of making the music. Hmm. You know, like we, we tweak this synthesizer for this long, and then, you know, this guitar. It, you know, we talked about um, in text earlier this week, we talked about Song Exploder. Yes. Kind of like Song Exploder as a book. Oh, cool. But, but it precedes Song Exploder, and it's the whole album. No, no way. That's really rad. Yeah, they've made like, I think, probably hundreds. I mean, it's it's everything from Neil Young's Harvest to oh. Dusty Springfield, Dusty in Memphis, The Smiths, Meet His Murder, Joy Division. Oh, nice. Even modern stuff. I think they did it. Uh, Kanye one. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. What's it called? 33 and a third. 33 and a third. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll Which put it is- in the links for this episode for you and, and for everyone listening. And they just sell that at bookstores that aren't around anymore. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's on Amazon. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot. Amazon. Yes, you know, everybody gets at Amazon angry at Amazon until they want to order something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Amazon prime is just too good. Uh-huh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> Wait till we have Amazon drone prime. That's even faster. Have you, um, have you bought instruments off of Amazon? I have, I have bought some instruments, but usually like little small pocket synth stuff. I feel like I haven't like impulse buys. Yeah. Like little, just small toys. Like, um, like there's this company called teenage engineering. Do you know it? Mm-hmm. They are a Swedish synth, uh, company and they make these little tiny eight bit. It almost looks like if you opened a game boy and you took out the guts and it was by itself with a little screen, that's what it looks like. With the almost like those off. raspberry Pi things. Uh, raspberry pies. What do you mean? This little tiny computers. Oh, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Yeah. No, it's up. <laughs> it like, looks like, it just looks like a computer board, you know, like a green computer board. Anyways, yeah. they make like a series of them for like bass sounds and stuff. And I bought a couple of those on there, but yeah, I usually use sweet water if I'm going to um, buy gear. They have the best deals and stuff. Is sweet water like the, it's like a music instrument. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a guitar center, but way better. So it's probably like um, there's a this company in New York called B and H that 
is like the the yeah. mecca for all f- film photo. people. Yeah, photo stuff. Yeah, B and H is great. Yeah, that magazine. I, I mean, that catalog. Mm-hmm. I get it in the mail, and I um, it, it frightens me every time I get it because I just want to buy everything. <laughs> Dude, have you heard of Sammy's camera? No. Oh, Sammy's down here is insane. That's like the everyone's go to here for film and photo stuff. It's amazing. If you're ever down here, I'm taking you to Sammy's camera because you would freak out. Yeah, I need to come down there. I love LA, man. I should have moved here a long time ago. It is fantastic. It really is. The amount of culture and food and creativity down here is insane. It really is something special. It's totally different than I'm used to, you know? Did you come down for a show for limousines with us? No, we went to Palm Springs. I went to Palm Springs in Atlanta with you guys. Okay, that's right. You came to Atlanta. Yeah. That Atlanta trip was fun. It is. I like Atlanta. I think it's rad. But um, okay, well, then you need to come down here. You stay at my house. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to show you the culture. We're going to get real tacos. We're going to get real Korean food. It's going to be awesome. This was a lot of fun. We're going to have to do this again. It is. I would love to, Chad. I love it. I love what you're doing. I think Holy Fool is rad. And I think keep it up because it's dope, dude. And I'm all for Thank it. Thank you, my friend. And please, yeah, please um, prostitute out everything that you want to prostitute out right now for the listeners because I want them to go check out okay. all of your stuff. Okay, for sure. I um, My name is Giovanni. I go by Cruels. You can find me on Instagram at, at Cruels Music. That's C-R-U-E-L-S. It's actually a disease in sheep. <laughs> Little fact. Um, and also on Spotify is Cruels. C-R-U-E-L-S. All right, brother. All right, I love you, man. I love you too, man. I miss you, dude. <laughs>